Good morning, church. Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Today is Pentecost Sunday, a day on the Christian church calendar that commemorates the birth of the New Testament church. Today's main scripture text is Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Luke is the author of this book. Many believe it's a continuation from the Gospel of Luke. He pens on, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Gracious Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who you have sent who's our teacher. And I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit today that you would speak to us through your word. I pray for your strength, for the power of the Holy Spirit to be upon me as I share this message today that you've placed upon my heart. I pray that you would be glorified through the preaching of your word, that the body of Christ would be edified, would be built up, would be strengthened in their faith. In Jesus' name we all pray, amen. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, had fully come, They were all with one accord in one place. There was 120 Christ followers, disciples of Jesus Christ. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That is the phenomena that, that God designed to inaugurate the birth of the church. We are the church. Tell the person next to you, you're the church. I'm the church. This is our story. We have some birthdays here today in our church family. And there's a story behind your birth. Today, we remember the birth of the church. This is our history. This is our story. In the first chapter of the book of Acts, we read about the preparation for the birth of the church. In the second chapter, we read about the the birth of the church. In chapter one, the disciples are waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. In chapter two of Acts, he arrives. In chapter 1, the disciples were equipped for their ministry service. In chapter 2, they are empowered for their ministry service. In chapter 1 of the book of Acts, the disciples are held back. In in Acts chapter 2, they are sent out. Their full resources to declare the gospel message to the ends of the earth are put perfectly into place by the arrival of the Holy Spirit and it is the fulfillment of Acts chapter one, verse eight, when Jesus told his followers, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This explanation in Acts chapter one, verse eight, is the inauguration of the next event of redemptive history. God has a redemptive plan and he has been fulfilling that plan since the beginning 
even before the beginning of time as we know it. First, it was the Old Testament revelation. God speaking in many different ways to the children of Israel through the Old Testament prophets, establishing his truth. True understanding of him and his redemptive purpose in the Old Testament. Then there was the next great event in redemptive history. After the completion of the Old Testament was the the arrival of God incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ who came and was made flesh and dwelt among us. God wrapping himself in human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And after 30 years or so later, the next great event in God's redemptive purpose was Christ's death on the cross, ratifying the new covenant by the sacrifice of himself. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saves a wretch like Pat. And a few days later, the next great event was the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. Can I hear a big amen? Amen. The resurrection was God affirming the satisfaction he had over the sacrifice of his son on the cross for our sin. Forty days after the resurrection, the next great event was the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. All these events are part of God's redemptive plan, redeeming humanity and all of creation. Amen? As he went back into heaven to be crowned King of kings and Lord of lords and seated at the Father's right hand, having accomplished redemption for our souls. The next great event is the sending of the Holy Spirit to bring believers together and establish the church in which he takes up residence. Amazing grace. This had been promised. In John's gospel in chapter 7, verse 37, it says, On that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Verse 38 says, But this he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So by the time you get to Acts chapter two, Jesus has ascended. Jesus has been glorified. And now he sends the Holy Spirit. This is the inauguration of a new era, a new dispensation, a new age, the church age. A new thing is born that has never been known before. Something never seen in the Old Testament. Something promised in the New Testament. And even described by the Lord himself who spoke of the church in the 16th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. The church up to this point had been a mystery, something hidden, about to be revealed. The day of Pentecost is the inauguration of the revelation of the church and what the church is. They are sent out ones. You and I are sent out ones, saved by God's grace and sent out by that same grace. I'm so overwhelmed by the grace of God to be a part of of his church, the church that Jesus Christ is building. Man isn't building anything. Man thinks he's building something. Jesus Christ is the builder of his church. You and I are tools in his toolbox. Amen? He is the one who is building his church. Well, there's a lot of people building things in his name, but if he's not the one building it... (laughs) Well, I'll just stop there. That's a whole nother sermon. The day of Pentecost is the inauguration of the revelation of the church. What the church is. How the church lives. Unfolds through the rest of the book of Acts and all the writings of the New Testament. The book of Acts is a beautiful history book of the first century church. 
In the New Testament, you read in the book of Revelation the place the church will play in final redemption and the establishment of the kingdom of Christ. In the New Testament, you meet the bride of Christ, the church. In the New Testament, you meet the branches connected to Christ, the church. In the New Testament, you meet the flock for whom Jesus is the good shepherd, the church. In the New Testament, you meet the family of God, the church. In the New Testament, you meet the household of faith, the church. In the New Testament, you meet God's building, the church. This isn't God's building. This right here is God's building. In the New Testament, you meet the temple of the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, you meet those who are part of the kingdom of salvation, ruled and governed by the Son of God. In the New Testament, you meet the body of Christ. In the Old Testament, you can see Israel called a vine. You see Israel called a kingdom. You see Israel identified as a household and and as a family. You see Israel called a building that God is building. But the unique metaphor for the church found only in the New Testament is that the church is a body. It is the body of Christ. It is the union of believers with Christ and the Apostle Paul writes about this so beautifully in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14, but right there in in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and, and be sure to read it sometime this week. One body, the Apostle Paul says, one body. Not many bodies, but one body. This is so critically important. Not one nation ethnically, but Jew and Gentile, all one in Christ. The wall has come down. The wall of separation has come down. Everyone in the body of Christ, the church, is dwelt by the Holy Spirit. Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks. Everyone is placed into the body of Christ, the church, by Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus promised back in Acts chapter one. Look at verse four. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. Back in the Gospel of John, we we see Jesus teaching his disciples about the promise of the Father, this helper who would come. Let's continue reading. Look at verse five of Acts chapter one. Jesus said to his disciples, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What happened on the day of Pentecost is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Christ talked about in Acts chapter one, verse five. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is Christ immersing us us, the body of Christ, the church, in the spirit, in the life of the spirit, which we share with other believers. Did you hear that, church? Which we share with other believers. Loving God, loving people, which constitute together the body of Christ, the church. We can't just run by these verses. There's so much going on, far too much is going on in these verses. Jesus ascended into heaven 40 days after his resurrection. In Acts chapter two, we're now 10 days later. 
When we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. The believers were together, 120 of them. That was the pattern from the time of Jesus' resurrection. When Jesus appeared to the disciples, you might remember, on the road to Emmaus until his ascension, the believers were together. Jesus met with them after his resurrection. He spent time with them after his resurrection. And even 10 days before the the day of Pentecost, Jesus told them to go back to Jerusalem and stay together and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1 verse 4 says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. And they did. They obeyed Jesus. They returned to Jerusalem. They were all together, our text tells us, in one place. We see in Acts 1 verse 13 that when they went back to Jerusalem, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. It was the Feast of Pentecost. Thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands had gathered together for this celebration. It's possible that they rented out the upper room for the Feast of of, of Pentecost, but we're not sure. And and it's very possible that it's the same upper room where they had the Passover meal the night that Jesus was betrayed. But we don't know for certain. But according to Acts chapter 1, verse 15, there were 120 there. So it must have been a fairly large room. Or maybe they were packed in there like a can of sardines. Ooh, I don't like sardines. How many like sardines? Church, what's very important for us to see and not miss here, what Luke, the author of the book of Acts, describes in Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 1, this is what he describes. History. History. Your history. My history, the history of the New Testament church. History completely at the discretion of a sovereign God. Not because the 120 were waiting, not because the 120 were praying, not because the 120 were obedient. The baptism with the Holy Spirit was a sovereign act of God based on God's redemptive timetable, God's timing, and not based on anything else. The 120 followers of Christ didn't fulfill some spiritual requirements. They didn't pay the the spiritual price to meet the qualifications of Pentecost. Luke points only to the history and only to the timing of God and the timing of God was very, very, very significant. He records the timing of God in redemptive history in Acts chapter two, verse one, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. The word Pentecost is a Greek word meaning the 50th part of something or the 50th in sequence or in order. You see, to the Jews, it was the name of one of their feasts. It was a feast that took place 50 days after the feast of Passover. The Old Testament gave it several names. In the Old Testament book of Exodus chapter 23, it's called the Feast of Harvest. In Exodus chapter 34, it's called the Feast of Weeks. In the book of Numbers, it's called the the Day of First Fruits. What is the purpose of the the Feast of Pentecost? The Feast of Pentecost commemorates the first fruits of the wheat harvest. Mark that in your mind, on your notes. On this day, this significant event called Pentecost celebrates the harvest, the first fruits of the harvest, and the harvest yet to come. 
You see, the Holy Spirit's timing then on Pentecost is very, very important. The Holy Spirit comes because God deems that this is the very day the Spirit is to come to fulfill pictures from the Old Testament that are very, very important. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is God's sovereign timetable. If you're taking notes, please write down Leviticus chapter 23. And when you get a chance, go back and read through it because in Leviticus 23, we learn of the feast that the Lord gave Israel to celebrate. The key feasts really are pictures of the work of Christ. The first was Passover. And Passover was a picture of the death of Christ. Jesus was the ultimate Passover lamb, the perfect Passover lamb, the one true sacrifice for sin. Can I hear a big amen? God fulfilled the picture of the Passover when he offered his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the Passover on the cross. And that is why the apostle Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, for indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. And so the first feast of Leviticus 23 was the Passover, which was fulfilled in the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Now, the second feast in Leviticus 23 was the first fruits. This was the celebration symbolizing the full harvest to come. This is a beautiful picture of Christ's glorious resurrection. That's why we're here today. He rose on the third day, church. Can someone say amen? Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 20 says, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, those who have passed away, those who have died in the faith. So you have in the first feast, Passover, a picture of, of the Passover sacrifice of Christ. And the second one, which is the celebration of first fruits, you have a picture of Christ who is the first fruits of all who sleep because he lives. Church, hear this. Those visiting today, because he lives, we shall live also. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Fifty days later came the third feast. It is discussed in Leviticus chapter 23, I believe around verses 15 and 16. It's the feast of harvest. This is Pentecost. Pentecost celebrates the wheat harvest. They celebrated by offering only two loaves of wheat bread baked with, with leaven. I can't go into great detail this morning. Because the harvest was not, was not yet fully in, but by using the first fruits of the harvest, they anticipated a, a full harvest to come. And, and this is why the Jews connected Pentecost with first fruits. It was a feast of harvest, but a feast of harvest in the first fruit sense, because all of the harvest had not yet come. But because the first fruits had arrived, it promised a completion a full harvest to come. It is on the day of Pentecost that the Lord sends the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our complete, our future complete inheritance. The coming of the Holy Spirit is another kind of first fruits. The Holy Spirit comes as the engagement ring. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, the apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, he writes, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. How many have Christ in you, the hope of glory? We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Jesus is coming back for us. The church, the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ and the Holy Spirit is proof. And one day Jesus will come for his bride. 
The Holy Spirit comes as a first fruit guarantee of our future inheritance. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, he writes in Philippians, the first chapter, verse 6, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. How many blew it this week? You can be confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I take comfort in that promise. The Holy Spirit is God's engagement ring. The Holy Spirit is God's guarantee. The Holy Spirit is God's down payment. The Holy Spirit is God's first fruit. I share all of this to say that the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost because it was God's appointed time. God's appointed time. Not man's appointed time. God's appointed time. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the divine work of a sovereign God. And so they're all together in one place. Acts 2, 2 says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Suddenly the Holy Spirit arrived. Suddenly the church is born. Let's take a look at the phenomena for just a, a minute. There came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. This is what our text reveals to us. This is the noise, like a wind. The wind here is a metaphor or an analogy to describe the kind of sound they heard. There's no wind. Nothing is blowing around. There's no physical wind. There's only a sound like a hurricane. The Greek word translated wind here means breath, breath of life. And it's used only one other place in Acts chapter 17, verse 25, and it really means a blast. A blast, like an explosion. The sound could as well be an explosion. It is this mysterious phenomena. There's no motion in the air, and yet the sound was like a hurricane blast from heaven. It is the very blast of God's breath. It reaches the earth all the way from heaven. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus said would happen. The sound was heard all over Jerusalem. The sound gathered massive crowds around the 120, and they show up to which Peter preaches to, and we can read his message. You can read it later in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 39. But the sound gathered the massive crowd that shows up to which Peter preached to. Notice in our text, uh, the presence of the breath of God filled only the house. There was audible phenomena. And there was also a visual phenomena in, in the fire in the tongues that were like fire. Acts 2, 3 says, then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and one sat upon each of them. This is supernatural, not natural at all. This is supernatural. There's an explosion. And now there's this visible phenomena what looked like tongues of fire moving like they were flames appeared over each of them. All 120, oh, what it must have been like to be a part of that 120 when the promise of the Father came on that day of Pentecost. But these flames, like tongues of fire, appeared over each of them all 120 to make clear that with no exception, each had received the Holy Spirit. This is a visible manifestation of the descent of the Holy Spirit. Remember when the Holy Spirit came at the baptism of Jesus to empower Jesus for his ministry? The Holy Spirit came down on him in what looked like the form of a dove and rested on him. Here in Acts chapter 2, the, the Holy Spirit comes down looking something like flames resting on the head of the disciples. Both the dove and the tongues as a fire symbolize the descent of the Holy Spirit. Visible phenomena, the coming 
of the Holy Spirit. It gathered thousands. This is a work of God from heaven that comes down into the souls of of believers on this day. They are literally engulfed and immersed and drowned in the presence of the Holy Spirit who takes up residence in their lives. This is amazing. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 and 13, gives us a very important explanation at this point. The Apostle Paul writes, For even as the body is one and yet has many members, all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. How did that happen? How is there just one body, one church, one body of Christ? Paul continues in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we're all made to drink of one spirit. There'll never be harmony or peace in our world until our world bows their knee and confesses with their tongue the Lord Jesus Christ. We have lots of different backgrounds. We've come from different cultures. But every week we gather together, one body, baptized by one spirit, the Holy Spirit, into Christ and we make beautiful harmony, beautiful music because of the unity of the spirit that we share. Amazing grace. One day every tribe, tongue, and nation is gonna surround the very throne of God. All together in one accord one voice praising our glorious King and Redeemer. Amen. Literally, we're saturated with the Spirit, immersed with the Holy Spirit, and we're all filled with the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is an overwhelming transformation from heaven of every believer. And this is a divine miracle. So on this occasion... The day of Pentecost, for the first time ever in redemptive history, this group of Christ followers who put their faith and trust in the Savior are immersed in the Holy Spirit, drawn together in in one body, the church, because they now possess the same spiritual life, the life of God through the Holy Spirit in them. Incredible. It's a miracle, a divine miracle. A miracle of grace. The Holy Spirit produces unity in the body of Christ. A genuine love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And as I was praying and and studying um, for this message this week, I was reminded and just meditating on these truths. Why deep in my own heart there's a cry for the unity of the body of Christ those who are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a longing, a deep longing. Um, it's like a fire that just burns deep within me for the body of Christ to come together because we're stronger together. We have a greater witness together. And that longing and that crying and that passion really is the Holy Spirit of God and, and, and the same spirits in all of us. And so we all have that longing. We all have that desire. We all have that passion to see the, our brothers and sisters come together as one. I, I tell you, I don't, like, I don't like the assemblies of God. I don't like the Pentecostal label. I don't like the Baptist label. I don't like the Methodist label. I don't like the Nazarene label because it's separates and puts us in different camps. We're Christ followers. Boy, you're quiet. We're Christ followers. We're Christians. We're disciples. Amen. Amen. Pat. (laughs) 
Jesus said a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There are several truths found in Scripture about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is a person and not an impersonal force or power. The Holy Spirit is a parakletos. In biblical culture, a parakletos was someone who went with a friend to court to support them and plead their cause. Not exactly a lawyer, but a friendly advocate and helper and comforter. The King James uses the word comforter. When Jesus told his disciples that the time had arrived for his departure, they were very, very troubled. You can read about this conversation that Jesus had in the Gospel of John chapter 14. But Jesus assured his disciples, saying to them in verses 16, 17, and 18, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. The Greek word for helper is parakletos. It literally means one who is called alongside. Jesus is promising his disciples, I am going to send you another helper, another comforter, one to stand alongside of you. How comforting. The Greek word for another is, a cru- is crucial to our personal understanding of the significance of what Jesus is promising. The Greek word means another of the same kind. As in, I enjoyed that sandwich, I'll think I'll have another of the same kind. That happened just yesterday. I have to confess. Jesus is promising his disciples, I am sending you one exactly like me, one with the same compassion, one with the same love, one with the same comfort and care, one with the same attributes of deity. Jesus had been there, Parakletos, for three years. He had helped them. He had comforted them. He had walked alongside of them. At the coming of the Holy Spirit, they would have another helper, one exactly like Jesus, to minister to them as Jesus had ministered to them. All Christ followers, every one of us here who are following Christ, have two Parakletos. The Holy Spirit called alongside in Christ at the right hand of the Father in heaven. First John 2, 1 says, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The word advocate is translated parakletos. How many followers of Christ do we have here today? We're in a win-win situation. The Bible says we're where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Paul writing to the church in Rome. And in, in the Greek, the word much more means super abounds. You and I cannot out-sin the grace of God. Does that mean we go on sinning? Absolutely not. We're so grateful and we're so thankful. We are determined by the strength that the Spirit of God gives us to sin less. Some of you. You can imagine how the disciples must have been greatly encouraged and comforted to hear Jesus say he would send another helper like him. But Jesus' promise extended beyond him, sending another helper. We don't want to miss this. Jesus promised, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. His next words beautifully culminate his message of comfort, of help, that he may abide with you forever. Not only would the Holy Spirit come alongside, he would never leave them. And he doesn't leave you, and he doesn't leave me. I take great comfort in a world that's so anti-Jesus, anti-Christ. In a world that's becoming less and less friendly to Christ's followers, I take great encouragement that I have one who walks alongside of me, who's my helper, who is my comfort, who strengthens me, 
when you feel the pressure cooker turning a few more degrees because of your faith. There's one who comforts us. There's one who helps us. There's one who sustains us, who strengthens us, who is alongside of us, who never leaves us. Isn't that encouraging, church? The Holy Spirit is your helper. He comes alongside us, the church, to give us strength and courage. The calling of the Holy Spirit is to come alongside every believer. And when he does, he will never leave you. In the Old Testament book of Joel, the Hebrew prophet promised that in the, in the last days, the Holy Spirit would fill God's people in a special way never experienced before. In Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching to the crowds that had gathered in response to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the 120, and he declared that the day of Pentecost is the fulfillment of the prophet Joel's prophecy. Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39, Peter, he's preaching, he's bringing his message to a close. He said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Now let's back up uh, to the beginning for just a moment, the beginning of Acts chapter 2. Luke records in verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Holy Spirit gave the 120 the ability to speak in languages that were not their own. Glossolalia, the Greek word, known languages of that day. These were known languages. There are some here who speak Portuguese. There are some here who speak Spanish. English, these were known languages, French, known languages. The Holy Spirit gave the 120 the ability to speak in languages that were not their own. How incredible. Luke says the people in verses seven and eight were amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all those, these who speak Galileans, and how is it that we hear in each in our own language in which we were born? This was incredible. At this point, the church had no New Testament scripture to authenticate their teaching. They had the the five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, the Pentateuch, But at this point, the church had no New Testament scripture to authenticate their teaching, and this supernatural phenomenon of speaking in tongues was an important witness, sign to the world, sign to the unbelieving world, identifying that God was doing a new thing as the Holy Spirit enabled these Galileans, these disciples, to preach the good news of the glorious gospel of Christ in other people's languages that had gathered together to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost that although he had been crucified, Christ is risen from the dead. Can you imagine hearing that in your own language from Galileans who didn't know how to speak your language? That gets your attention. It caused you to put on the brakes and do some heart evaluation. Acts 2, 6 says, and when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. I love verse 27. Then they were all amazed and marveled. I was asking the Lord today, Lord, are the unbelievers amazed and marveled when they come into my presence? Because you're so real in my life. I felt such conviction. I found myself praying, God, I want the unbeliever when they come into my presence to be amazed and to marvel because your presence is so real in my life. After all, I have been baptized with the Holy Spirit saturated with his presence. God's love. 
You see, God chose the first Pentecost after Jesus' resurrection and ascension to pour out the promised Holy Spirit. The church was birthed. The 120 were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues. Language is not their own. People were amazed. They knew something supernatural was happening. Some people mocked the disciples. You'll always have your skeptics. I have them here today. Naysayers and doubters. They're going to always exist. Peter preached the first spirit-filled sermon in the New Testament church. Fifty days earlier, he was a coward, denying Christ three times. Now filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter stands courageously and boldly preaches Christ. Acts chapter 2 verse 41 says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to the church. Not bad growth for a new church plant. Not even a day old. The Feast of Pentecost, also referred to as the Feast of Harvest, on that first um, Feast of Pentecost, harvest after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, the spiritual harvest that God began to gather in on that day of Pentecost over 2,000 years ago was the first fruits of the souls that would be harvested in the days and years to come as the Lord tarries and the church is busy with the work that God called them to do as the New Testament church carries on the work of Jesus Christ through the person, presence, and power of the Holy Spirit. We must never lose sight of the Feast of Pentecost spiritual focus. It was meant to be a harvest, a gathering of souls into the kingdom of God, the birth of the church. These 3,000 were added to the church. And as you continue to read through the book of Acts, they were added daily to the church. We can lose sight of this reality when, we fo- when our focus is only on the supernatural manifestation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And they offer today. But when we make them our primary focus, we lose sight of the reality of God's sovereign timing on this day of Pentecost after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. It was about the harvest, the spiritual harvest. It was about the church being birthed and the spiritual harvest that was being reaped and continues to be reaped today until Jesus comes. And the Bible calls us to work while it's still day for for night is coming when no man will be able to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember, God chose the first feast of Pentecost, harvest, after Jesus' resurrection and ascension to send the Holy Spirit. The purpose for the coming of the Holy Spirit is to glorify God strengthen the body of Christ, the church, and to bring the lost to Christ through the Holy Spirit-empowered witness of the church. Not programmed-induced, but Holy Spirit-induced witness of the church. Jesus promised his disciples in Acts 1.8 as I close. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 9 verses 37 and 38. The harvest is truly, truly plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his church. The church, ecclesia, sent out ones. Sent out ones. That prayer has been answered. A church has been born on the day of Pentecost. And they are the sent out ones. You and I are the sent out ones. This prayer has been fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, the birth of the church. You and I 
all the sent out ones. As we leave this building today, we step out onto our mission field. As we drive down the street where we live, we drive down the street of our mission field. When we get up tomorrow morning and we go to work, we step out on our mission field. This world is our mission field. Church, the Holy Spirit produces a supernatural boldness within us to share the gospel of Christ. We see this in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, and we see it again in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Amen. Would you join me standing today? Oh, there's so much more, but time doesn't permit. But we'll come back and visit this because there's a lot. There's a lot here for us to to understand and to receive by faith. I do want to share one more verse with you. And it's Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And Jesus said, go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. All morning long, this scripture was just stirring in my heart. And so I took a a sticky note and I wrote a note and I put it next to the verse. Wasn't sure if I was going to share it or not today, but I just sensed a close with it. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In In my little sticky note that I put next to it, pray for Holy Spirit utterance. Pray for Holy Spirit utterance. Have you been filled with fear? Are you nervous to open your mouth and share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you feel like you just don't know enough? Do you know Jesus? Do you know what Jesus did for you? You know enough. Pray for Holy Spirit utterance. Amen, church? The Holy Spirit empowers us to walk the walk and talk the talk. Amen? Let's sing this song as we close today. And as we sing this song, pray out for Holy Spirit utterance this week, this coming week, that through your lips, the Holy Spirit would speak the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. Will you trust him? Will you pray for Holy Spirit utterance and by faith step out, open your mouth and preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and just watch what the Holy Spirit of God will do in in opening people's hearts to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and convicting the world of of righteousness and unrighteousness and and Oh, let's pray right now. Let's pray.